So I didn't, so I didn't want to look at it. Like I probably, for all, I mean, in hindsight, I probably went six months to a year feeling that low grade lack of fulfillment before I went, oh my gosh, okay, something's got to be done. And that was still just the beginning. And then, you know, several months later, it was just kind of like this frog in boiling water over time of just like huge identity shifts. What in the world is going to be next? Lack of clarity. Welcome to Enoughness. My name is Lisa Wang, national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur. This is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question, how much is good enough? Have you ever wanted to be a paid influencer? In today's world of nonstop connectedness and social media, it's tempting to think, if they can do it, why can't I? It's even easier to start comparing yourself to all these people with shiny brands and start feeling, well, less than great about yourself. Today's guest, Jason Van Orden, has studied top internet influencers in order to decode the systems, psychologies, and strategies that they use to launch and grow world-class personal brands and profitable businesses. He has launched over 60 online courses, taught more than 7,000 entrepreneurs, generated $6 million dollars in online course sales and 8 million downloads of his podcast. In 2005, Jason co-founded the first ever podcast about internet business and online marketing called Internet Business Mastery, which quickly became one of the top business podcasts in the world. And to date, it's still one of the most profitable podcasts on iTunes. In 2006, he wrote the best-selling book, Promoting Your Podcast, which was featured on sites such as Forbes and Entrepreneur.com, and he has also created multiple world-class influential brands of his own as a top expert for business podcasting, direct marketing expert for real estate investors, and is now a strategic advisor to top thought leaders. Today, we take a look behind the scenes and discuss some of the less glamorous and even taboo parts of being a successful entrepreneur and influencer, specifically mental health, depression, and what to do when the rest of the world thinks you have everything together and you might feel like there's just no one to talk to. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. I'm curious, how did you get into this type of work? Uh, What initially sparked your interest in working with thought leaders? Working with thought leaders? Oh, so uh, yeah, over the last uh, about 13 years, um, you know, you mentioned Internet Business Mastery, which became a company that had training for beginning entrepreneurs. And as I, you know, two or three years ago, as I'm sure we'll talk about more, I was shifting into do, it was time to do something new. And I was thinking about, I was asking myself, like, what if I enjoyed most? over the last decade or so that I've done in my entrepreneurial career. And the thing that I really loved in Internet Business Mastery is when I had the chance to teach people who weren't just building a business to have more freedom, although I love the fact that I helped a lot of people escape nine to five jobs they hated. But what I really loved is when I had the chance to work with somebody who also felt driven by an idea or a message to get that out in the world. And I found that, you know, that was just really fulfilling for me. And I'm just a curious person who loves discovering amazing ideas and working with people with amazing ideas. And so I just made a decision at that point that, you know, I needed to change. And so I was done teaching beginning entrepreneurial skills. And instead, I wanted to take my 13 years of experience and work with people who had amazing ideas that just needed bigger reach, bigger impact out there in the world. And I had the skills and experience to help them do that. So that's kind of how it made that uh, that shift. 
I read that you started your very first product launch in 2004 with a mailing list of <laughs> right. 80 people. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me more about that and how you got started? Yeah. So, you know, when I, so I was an engineer um, in my career for a whole three years, I was like, this is not going to last. And so real estate investing was the thing that I thought was going to be, oh, this will be how I, you know, find my freedom and get out of my job. And it did get me out of my job, but I very quickly figured out that real estate investing was not my jam. It wasn't really fulfilling feeling for me. However, what that did do, um, you know, at that time I was learning a lot about direct marketing as well, because that's how we would find houses to, uh, to work on and buyers and sellers. And so, uh, I noticed that a lot of my friends who were also real estate investors started asking me marketing questions. And I had figured out I enjoyed marketing. I was good at it. So I just loved sharing with them all the stuff I was learning about mailing sequences and headlines and how to write good copy. And finally, a, a little light bulb went off and I had listened to one program. There's a, a popular, well-known direct, direct marketing expert by the name of Dan Kennedy. And one of his presentations, he talked about you know, this idea called information marketing, packaging your expertise and selling that. And so the light bulb went off. It's like, oh, well, what if I did a seminar? Everyone's asking me about direct marketing. I'll just book a room at a local college or something, see if I can get 25 people to pay me for a whole day just to do a mind dump of everything I know about direct marketing and copy. And so I sold it at two, let's see, I think it was 250, oh, 200, yeah, $250 a pop. Um, and, but I needed, okay, now I needed to sell it. Right. And so I knew from listening to him, it's like, well, either you go buy mailing lists, which, you know, can be expensive and I didn't want to do, I wanted to do it locally. And it's like, oh, well, I have some notoriety in this local club for real estate investors. And so I think I made some kind of deal with them. I was like, okay, I'll share the profits with you. And they had a database of 80 people. And so basically mm -hmm. I got to, and we're talking physical mailing. So snail mail. Snail mail. Um, like one of them, I, I did this, you know, figured out how to print onto lined paper to make it look like it was handwritten note to them. Um, another one, my wife and I, we actually traveled to Paris, France for our anniversary. And I mailed postcards to all 80 people from Paris over, you know, so it was just these things to get attention. Um, anyway, it turns out that I filled the room with 25 people at 250 pop, um, or maybe it was $200 pop. Yeah. Cause I made $5,000, um, off of selling tickets. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Like I love teaching. I love marketing way. This is way better than real estate investing. And so at that moment I became an information marketer and I've never mm -hmm. looked back. I've been in some element or another, an information marketer ever since. So you studied engineering. Did you have any sort of formal training when it came to marketing or copywriting? No, the, um, <laughs> the light bulb about marketing happened because when I left university, my wife and I got married right after we graduated from university and we had met in a band up at college. And when we moved to, uh, my first job, we started a new band. Um, uh, this was in Salt Lake city where I got my first job as an engineer. And, you know, when you're in a band, you quickly figure out nobody's going to buy your CDs and show up to your shows unless you promote yourself. And so that's when I started. So this is like the year, you know, like 2000 is when and, um, you know, I started studying marketing and I figured out through that process of promoting our band that I loved marketing. And I was actually pretty good and had a sense for it. And so that's how I got turned on to. And, and the funny thing is, like one of the first people that I, I remember having a conversation with my wife in the car driving and I was reading a book that was like internet marketing for 
for bands or like garage bands or something. Right. Um, and it was just this independent guy in Missouri who would like put self-publish his own book. And this is like 2002 now that I'm reading this book. And I remember turning to her going, this is so cool. This guy has packaged all his knowledge about marketing and is selling it out of his home to bands. Like that would be so cool to do something like that. And it, it would be another year or so when that would click for me, like, wait a second, I should do something like that too. But that was like my first glimpse of, wow, that's really nifty that, you know, that you have that ability now with the internet. So that's how I figured out I was good. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed marketing. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely know a lot of entrepreneurs, creatives, artists who know that they have to promote and market themselves, but just either don't put enough emphasis on mm. it. Um, what are some of the big mistakes that you see people doing? Um, well, specifically speaking of, and yeah, I've, I have many friends who are artists and who have that frustration. I just want to create my art. Like, you know, I don't want to have to. And the biggest mistake is that they spend so much time on the art. And this goes for, I mean, even professionals, right? That like, let's say a dentist that goes to school for years to get good at dentistry. And now they open a practice and they find out, oh, wait, nobody's going to show up and be my patient unless. So there's all these like vocations out there where now you have to have marketing to grow and thrive. Right. And yet you don't. And so the biggest mistake is not actually putting time into your marketing. It's like, you're really good at what you do, but unless you, you know, say, okay, 25% of my time, unless you hire someone else to do it for you needs to go into marketing. And, you know, instead it's like just this hope that people will show up, put an ad in the yellow pages, or, I mean, I don't know if anybody does that anymore, but, um, you know, just like these very shotgun hope kind of based things rather than very, you know, strategic, spend your time thinking about it kind of. So that's one of the biggest. And then the second thing is just not being really conscious of who they're trying to reach and then thinking about, okay, well, what kind of language is going to get their attention? Where should I put this message in order to get most likely get it in front of them? And thankfully with the internet now, it's way easier to like hyper target and be so dead on relevant with, you know, targeting through Facebook and stuff like that, which of course is a, it's a whole controversy right now, isn't it? In the news about <laughs> Facebook knowing so much about us. But um, that's the second thing. It's just not really thinking about, well, who is your audience and what are you saying to them and where do you need to go to get that message in front of them? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you're in, um, you know, 2002, and you realize that you are pretty good at this marketing thing. Yeah. Um, and then at some point, you kind of dive headfirst into, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to help more um, people scale their companies, their brands, so that they can reach the audience that they need to reach. Um, at what point did you realize that this was really catching on um, and a really viable business and like how quickly were you growing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a big transition. Um, so, so when I had that, I did that seminar and had that aha moment of, okay, information marketing, that's it. Um, I knew enough because of listening to Dan Kennedy to record that seminar. Right. And on on just audio, just audio. And then I put it on CDs and I took my slides and like put it into a book. And I started just selling it to my network in Salt Lake City. But soon I ran through my whole network and I was like, well, now I need to sell more. What do I do now? I'll go to the Internet, right? I'll go to the Internet and you and use the Internet to reach more people. And so that's when I started studying more specifically because I was doing direct marketing before that. That's when I started studying. So this is like 2004. Now studying specifically Internet marketing. And then it's in, within a year and 2005 is... Um, 
And, you know, and so at the time I'm like posting on like forums, you know, write an article on a forum and then you put your little byline at the bottom. Like it's way different world. Right. But a big switch to, to get back to your question that happened is when I heard of podcasting in 2005 and, and in 2005 podcasts were pretty brand 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 new like i when i saw the word and i typed it into google podcasting like it tried to correct me it didn't know what podcast was like did you mean and it like said some <laughs> other word um and so it wasn't actually until and the reason i bring that up is it was actually in becoming a business uh, you know, shifting into business podcasting, that's when I landed on something that really started taking off. And so I had enough foresight with podcasting to go, I think this is going to become a deal. And I make it sound like it was so obvious to me. Honestly, it took me about six months to make that decision of, do I let go this direct marketing for real estate investors business and go into something around podcasting, which was really pulling at me as a marketer, as a teacher, as an audio music guy. And so I did. I, I made a site. I was like, okay, well, there's no site out there that just in one place in layman's terms says, here's how you launch a podcast. And so I just, I spent like two weeks just writing, writing, writing and put a, put it up and I grabbed a good URL. I knew enough about SEO at the time to be like, okay, I'm going to get how to podcast tutorial. Cause I'd figured out that how to podcast and podcast tutorial were the highest search phrases, right? Still had no idea, but when did I know? Well, like within two or three months, Google started listing it up in the top of the rankings and it got mentioned even for a short time on Wikipedia and people started showing up. My list started growing. It's like, Ooh, this could become something. And the real clincher was that within six months of launching that site, um, I was being asked to speak at conferences and then a big, big one, which is probably the answer to your question is when a publisher came to me and said, we want to write, we need to publish a book about podcasting because this is looking like a thing do you want to write a book for us? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't on my radar as a goal, but you know, I was like, absolutely. So that, I think that's when it was, it was like this publisher tracked me down at a conference says, we need to talk. Will you write a book for us? And I was like, wow. Okay. This is cool. Right place, right time. This is taken off. So mm-hmm. that, that felt really good. And have you always wanted to be, um, in some ways, like in the limelight within marketing, because this is obviously you have to put your face out there, right. your brand out there. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I have, I mean, now I can see the breadcrumbs going back. In terms of being a teacher, I can see the breadcrumbs going back to college and like having an opportunity to teach and loving that, right? So in terms of being, you know, in front of a room, teaching people, giving them ideas and resources that, you know, enable and empower them, you know, I, I think that has been in my life for a long time. In terms of being in the limelight, um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely am driven by knowing that I, I, I feel most motivated to create ideas that get seen and used and just create immense value for people. And then people recognize that and go, wow, that really changed my way of thinking or behaving or approaching whatever I'm doing. So, um and that, that was an interesting realization going back again to three years ago. And I was like, what's coming next? I asked myself, I said, maybe I should just go make an Amazon e-commerce business or something like something I can just scale the heck out of it. Not worry, you know, cause I'd spent 10 years as the podcaster, the voice, the face of something. And as I, I pondered that for just a short while, I was like, no, it just doesn't sound as interesting to me. And it's like, for whatever reason, I want to create ideas and I want to help other ideas get out there. So I guess in one shape or form, there has been that trend going back at least since college. And, you know, if I thought about it more, maybe even before that to just 
um, to, to teach, advise, and share ideas with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long were you working on this business for? The podcasting one? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happened is that, uh, I made the decision, I made that site, uh, to, to be the podcasting tutorial site, but obviously at the same time, I thought I better have a podcast if I'm going to do this. Right. Um, turns out I launched three at the time. One was a podcast about podcasting. So I was like, okay, let's launch a pod. It's called the podcasting underground. And, you know, it was just me talking about, you know, all the developments coming in podcasting. Second one I launched was just for fun was called Gotham cast. And it was about living in New York city. Cause I just moved to New York city in 2005 and everyone seemed to want to know that I like friends and family. What's that like? So I'm like, Oh cool. I'll do a podcast about it. Um, and then the third one was internet business mastery, which was just a for fun project. I like had a friend that I'd kept in touch with. He was making money on eBay. I was making money now as a podcasting advisor, consultant person. We're like, what if we started a podcast together? Cause I told him about it one day. He's like, well, let's start one. And we're already having these conversations on the phone. How about we just record them and make them a thing? And, um, it was very unexpected. And I, like, that wasn't meant to be the business, like podcasting expert was meant to be the thing. Right. And, um, and so, you know, it was it's also, I guess maybe because we were just first um, to be internet business podcasting that just started taking off at the same time as my podcasting brand was taking off. And now I'm trying to remember the original question. It was how long. So how long have you been work? Had you been working on that business? Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So until it was like profitable or, yeah. um, yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So the, um, the podcasting business it was maybe within a year that it was like, I mean, I was making money relatively quickly, but it took probably about a year for it to really pay some bills. Mm-hmm. And and in terms of, so it seems like it grew really quickly. And you mentioned that, you know, it's possibly that you, you guys got in first. Um, in general, do you think that your success or even success in general is more attributed to luck, hard work. Um, mm, yeah, timing. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I absolutely think that the uh, both of those businesses started su- succeeding quicker than usual. I mean, there's so many variables, right, that I can't say how long does it take to monetize an online personal brand. But um, it's it's definitely right time, right place. And I, you know, I've been around long enough teaching people to make online brands and make money online to see it's like some people just hit it at, you know, whatever variables or they have an X factor about them. And, you know, it just exponentially goes. And about every two years, at least in kind of the space that I work in, there's somebody who just like this astronomical success. I'm like, some of your listeners probably are familiar uh, with a friend of mine, John Lee Dumas, who, his podcast took off very, very, I mean, re- relatively quickly and became very, very po- uh, popular and profitable within a matter of a year or two. That's an exception, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, and in reinventing my own brand in the last couple of years, I actually had to go back and kind of do some own, my own mindset work because I kind of internalized this lesson of, oh, I make cool stuff and people just show up because I did get lucky like twice, right, in a row. And that was kind of like messing with my mind now that as I was shifting my brand and starting something new, it wasn't necessarily going to happen like that again, right? Mm-hmm. Like I might have to actually 
put in the time a little bit more to make something, you know, get the traction that I wanted. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it took, but I, internet business mastery, it was within two years, that podcast that it became a, uh, a six figure business. Um, so in like our second year, I think it, it hit like 300,000 in the year or something. Um, because we started selling coaching programs and membership site and mm. stuff like that. So does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. And as someone who works, you know, a lot with influencers, like really helping people think through their brand, you know, we live in this world that increasingly cares a lot about, um, just what you see on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, did you at any point start feeling, uh, almost like a lack of depth in mm. terms of the work that you were doing? No, I love, I love, <laughs> I love this question. Um, I would so yes, the answer is yes, but it's a qualified yes. Just that, um, I think what I would consider as depth, the definition of that has changed over time, both because I've changed and also just because the internet where I have kind of operated the idea of making money online and what's deep there. Like, and what I'm getting at is like when, when blogging just first started as a thing, like people could write these, you know, like quick three ways to whatever blog posts, which still get written. But like today you do that and it's kind of like, yeah, that's echo chamber. You're not bringing anything new to the table. 10 years ago, that was cool. Like that was depth to write three ways to whatever podcast podcast or um, blog post. So over time, the bar has raised as to what depth is. And I absolutely think that my own work, again, going back to this transition that started three years ago, there's a number of reasons why I was getting restless at that time. But one of them was that I think my own work, I'd rested on my laurels too long and maybe not challenge myself enough. And so the bar as to what was deep, meaningful work online and for myself was raising, but the quality of my work and output and value I was creating in the world was not raising with it. And so that's part of what caused that restlessness and a need to, okay, what's next? What's possible? Got to realign here, got to reinvent and, Mm -hmm. and make a leap. So yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And it's not my, wish more people would think about because there's plenty of noise online where there's just the yeah. values not there. Yeah. And and I mean, speaking of that, of just even outside appearances, um, you know, at what point or did you ever get to a point where you no longer felt fulfilled by the work that you were doing? Um, because I think that another consequence of putting out that very public brand is that um people don't know the hardships that you're going through because mm-hmm. it's this, you know, you always see the people are always comparing themselves with others, highlight reels, um, mm-hmm. and not really knowing what's actually going on in the yeah. back. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, again, going back to three years ago, um, I mean, you know this well, I'm sure like entrepreneurship or any like really aspirational pursuit you're going to hit a ceiling at different times. Right. And sometimes those ceilings, like you see them coming and kind of skip past them pretty quickly. Sometimes you hit them and it's just a a little bit of a shift like, Oh, something's off and okay. I'm just like change. And and then on you go. And then sometimes there's a big one, like a big plateau, a big ceiling, whatever you want to call it. Just that it's going to take some major shifts to figure out why am I hitting this ceiling? And sometimes it's just, you know, there's, there's a number of things that construct or make up those ceilings that come along. 
Um, and I hit a big one, I hit a big one three years ago. And so it was 10 years into internet business mastery. So that's probably one reason. I mean, 10 years is a long time, I think for any entrepreneur to do the same thing. Um, and also another interesting thing at that time is I had, I just, I was a relatively new parent. So that changes your perspective on life. Um, I was approaching 40 years old. I don't know, maybe it was partly the proverbial like midlife crisis kicking in. And then just but basically what I started noticing is too many days in a row would end with me not feeling energized about what, what I was doing. Like, it's okay. We're all going to have days where I was like, yeah, I just wasn't feeling it today. But if you have a string of those, that's like weeks going by, months going by, eventually I had to look back and go, hmm, this, this can't stay like this. This is, I'm, it's draining my energy. It's not going to be sustainable. And I think part of me was avoiding seeing that because on the one hand, in an internet business mastery, a big message that we put at the front of everything that we taught was build a business that fulfills you. Yes, you want freedom, but you better make sure that this thing just is like built around who you are and what you love because that's what's going to sustain you. And yet now all of a sudden I was in a business saying that message and I was not fulfilled, right? It wasn't going to sustain me. And so I was like, that was a bit of like a fraudulent thing. Like in my mind started like, Oh my gosh, I'm not even living my own message anymore now. Did you realize that the plateau, did you realize that it was depression? Um, well it would be like a year until I realized that I was starting to get that. I, I was like, Oh, I'm depressed here. Like, I, mm-hmm. like, cause at first it was like just kind of mild, um, maybe like, and I think there's different degrees of depression, mild depression. And I didn't want to see it both because of that fraudulent gap, but then also, um, like, what would that mean? Like going to my business partner and saying, I don't really dig our business anymore that we've been doing for 10 years. And I was living in Paris at the time, which is not cheap. And it was this huge lifestyle goal I had set for myself. And I was dependent on that business to live in Paris. So that scared the heck out of me. Like, what is that going to mean for this dream I'm living? So I didn't, so I didn't want to look at it. Like I probably, for I mean, in hindsight, I probably went six months to a year feeling that low grade lack of fulfillment before I went, Oh my gosh, okay. Something's gotta be done. And then even once, you know, like going to a business partner and saying something's got to change, I need a sabbatical from the business. I don't know how we can possibly make that happen, but that's what we need right now. Um, to then actually, and that was still just the beginning. And then, you know, several months later, it was just kind of like this frog and boiling water over time of just like huge identity shifts. What in the world is going to be next? Lack of clarity, imposter syndrome, every, all this stuff I dealt with when I was a beginning entrepreneur coming back up again. I was like, I thought I dealt with all this stuff. And then finally, like fall of 2016, there was just like, finally had to go, whoa, wait a second. I'm depressed like this, like waking up in the morning. No, like things I normally enjoy, not enjoying them anymore things that uh, like no motivation, just apathy about pretty much everything. And I was like, okay, this is not, this is something bigger than just a little bit of. So, um, and what was getting really frustrating for me, it wasn't just depression, realizing I was depressed and lack of uh, like apathy, but over that time, so I got the sabbatical from the business. Like we figured out how to hire somebody to run the company and to give ourselves a break. And that turned into actually months of us just exploring other stuff, which was perfect. But here was the problem is I'd go exploring like what's next, what do I want to do? And I'd get all excited about something and I'd dive into it and I'd start like 
writing something that was going to become a book. That was one thing that I started on or, you know, start doing a certain kind of consulting that I'd be playing around with. And inevitably what would happen is I'd get all excited. I'd dive into it. Maybe a week, maybe a month would go by. And then all of a sudden, bam, my motivation would just disappear. My creativity would disappear. My energy, I'd just be fatigued. And after that happens like six times in a row and you can't trust your own motivation and creativity anymore, like basically every time that would happen, my confidence would like take another huge scoop out of it or something. So at the end of 2016, not only was I like, oh my gosh, I am like really depressed here, but my confidence was like rock bottom and didn't matter that I had this whole decade of success behind me. It was just like, whoa, I'm a fraud. This sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. I think I had all my good ideas. That's it. I'm done. Don't know what I'm going to do. It was a pretty dark place. So that's, uh, you know, so all of that we're talking is like a year and a half from, Ooh, something's a little bit off. I better do something to, whoa, rock bottom. I'm actually depressed. This is serious. That's like a year and a half Mm -hmm. was at least what my experience was. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around depression, um, obviously a lot of stigma. Um, so how did you, like the, the moment you realized it, like, how did you treat it? Did you get medication? Did you get counseling? What did you do for yourself? Yeah. Um, and this is something I love talking about now. It didn't used to be that way. Um, as a quick aside for those whole 10 years in that last business, never once did I talk because I've actually had on and off issues with depression for years and my business partner in that last business never even knew it. And the point I'm making is now I love talking about this stuff, but for a good 10 to 12 years, I didn't. And that's actually to get to your question is one thing that I needed to do, which I wasn't allowing myself to do was actually talk to people about it. Not that I had to like put it out on the internet or anything. I mean, now I do. I'm fine with that. But that, I mean, maybe my wife, sometimes even my wife, I wouldn't tell her like how bad things were getting. Right. And so then it just starts turning into like this guilt and shame. And when it's just this thing that you are isolating yourself with, it just, I mean, shame just feeds on that silence and secrecy and just grows and grows and grows. So the first thing I did was that I started talking to people about it just to get that out and start releasing that shame. And one big turning moment there was, so, so yes, I did go and finally go, okay, I Googled psychiatrist in New York City, looked at Yelp, found some good, and just went and, and seen, uh, and went and saw somebody. And, um, and he said, yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, you've been on medication before, but clearly, like, now you need something else. So he changed that up, and that definitely started helping. It took a few weeks to notice, but I'm like, okay, I'm seeing a glimmer of something. So that was number one thing. Number two thing, when it comes to talking about it, is that um, I have a good friend that invited me to go to a mastermind. And this is just one of those, you know, she wanted to pull together people that she really respected and wanted to spend more time with. And we were just going to go down to Florida, rent a big house, spend three days there just, you know, masterminding about our businesses and exchanging ideas and helping each other with our challenges. And I said, I immediately said yes, even though I was feeling like totally depressed because I knew that any time that I got out of my element and was in the room or a place with other people, some good idea was in. So I was just like, okay, maybe this will give me some kind of insight or breakthrough. And on the airplane going down there, I had my journal and I was writing out all these strategic questions I was going to ask them like, okay, I'm thinking about doing this or this or that, or, you know, maybe some ideas around this marketing angle. And, um, thankfully the first night that we were there, and we're talking, this is like the real world, right? Like you show up and nobody knows each other at first. Like everybody knew the woman who had invited us all, 
but most of us were, so we're all feeling each other out. And thankfully the first night, like one person made some just kind of like little remark, I think about, I think it was about depression or something. So it's just like this little crack of vulnerability. And I like made note of that in my brain. I was like, Oh, that was interesting. Okay. So the next morning we start the mastermind, which we do these, what are called hot seats, right? Somebody is like in the hot seat for 30 minutes. You get to say, here's a problem or a question I have. What does everybody think? Please help. And the first one, the person basically just like put her fears on the table. It wasn't strategic questions. It wasn't tactical questions. It was, I keep getting in my way. This is what's happening. And I don't know what to do about it. And this is somebody who's like been quite successful in the past. Right. And by the end of her session, like people are crying and like hugging her and like, she's feeling this huge release. And in that moment I was like, Oh crap. I know what I got to talk about when it's my turn. And I like crossed out all that stuff in my journal, all that strategic, that was just like me avoiding the real issue. And so, and it still wasn't until the next day that it was my hot seat. Mm -hmm. And I was going to like, it was lunchtime the next day. And I was like, okay, who's left? And there's like three of us and they're like, okay, Jason, you're after lunch. I'm like, oh crap. So then what'd you say? (laughs) Well, what I said, oh, what did I say? Well, first thing I said is where's the Corona? Because I'm like, so then I was like, okay, well, here's, here's what's been going on. And I just, I mean, a lot of what I just shared and how my, you know, confidence was going down and down and down. And despite past success and I was just like, yeah, at this weird rock bottom and just feeling horrible and I didn't know what to do about it. And that's when, you know, somebody else said, yeah, this happens to me, you know, sometimes. And, you know, she, she started talking about her experience and somebody else said, yeah, several years back, I had to be on medication for a year and this is what was going to. So at first it was just like, oh, I'm not the only one that, cause you start feeling like that when you isolate yourself with it, somehow you start convincing yourself, I'm the only one that deals with this stuff or I must be doing something wrong. Mm-hmm or something's wrong with me. And you just forget that it's like, look, this is all stuff that everyone deals with, you know, one thing or another, right? Maybe not depression, but something else. And it seems like the hard part about it is that you couldn't isolate a particular reason why you were feeling like that, right? Right. And that, and see, that's the thing is my engineering brain, my logical brain loves to like, what are the variables? Let me solve for what's missing so I can go and fix that thing. You're right. Like that was yeah, there was no logical answer to to this problem. So then the default and was what's wrong with was, me. Yes, exactly. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing that happened was that, you know, some part of me believed that when I shared that I was going to die. Now, not physically, but that part of me was like this evolutionary part of my brain that was saying, OK, you're going to share this stuff. Therefore, people are going to go, oh, we don't want to listen to you anymore because clearly you don't, you know, you're, you're a mess. Like, why would I want business advice from you? And so then that equals like this ostracism and to our evolutionary brain, ostracism equals death. Cause if you're not in the tribe, you're not going to survive. Right. So there's like this lizard brain part of me that was saying, don't talk about this stuff. Cause it's going to lead to death ostracism. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to want to talk to you or be, which is not rational, but that was what was keeping me silent and shame like closed up. Right. And had you generally not been a very vocally vulnerable person before that? Um, around certain elements of my life, yes, but not about that specifically. My wife, you know, and yeah, like my immediate family, maybe, but um, like my you know parents and siblings. But um, having shared it with, there, and there's something different about sharing it with your wife, and of course she's wonderful and gave me support, but then there's something about sharing it with a group of my peers, people like me in that room, and having them understand, see me, 
understand my pain, say, oh yeah, a couple of them going, yep, I've been through that too. Um, and it was like, oh, I didn't die. I shared it and I didn't die. And like by the end of my half hour session, I had this huge just release of just, I mean, I guess it was just that shame, like starting to unravel and dissipate. And I remember like right after that, going back up, we each had our own room and like, you know, a bathroom off of it and stuff. So I went back up to my room and I remembered like, like the last time I'd cried before that was when my daughter was born, like three years before that. And it was just like this emotional release that happened for like 10 minutes. And, um, and it's just weird. You're like, where did this come from? You don't realize that you're like holding all that inside. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, back to your question of what did I do? Yes, I went and got some medication because sometimes I think that's what you need to just like give you some hope or just like enough wherewithal to do something else about it. And the second one is I stopped isolating myself. I started talking to people. Mm. And so since then, well, it took a few more months, but since then, you know, about, within about six months, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start talking about this more, not just for my own benefit, but because having them hear me and share their stories was huge for me. So now I want to start sharing my story so other yeah. people can go, Oh, Jason, this guy who was successful in the business mastery. Oh yeah. I know him. Oh wow. He, even he, mm-hmm. cause like you said, the, like the polished online highlight reel, we assume that successful people don't go through these things. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole reason even for the enoughness podcast, right? Mm-hmm. It's like taking successful people like you and, showing that if there are times even when you felt like you weren't enough and periods of time that um, it is something that's universal and that it's okay for other people to feel like that at times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that um, I thought about as you're talking is the difference between how men and women deal with these sorts of feelings um, right. in terms of sharing vulnerabilities, sharing insecurities. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is even a a more masculine thing to not ever be able to talk about these things? Um, I mean, yeah, that's certainly some part of the generalization. I mean, I think it's probably difficult for a lot of people to talk about it, but it is true that women maybe tend to process things more obviously verbally. Like when my wife like it would shock her when I would sometimes like say, yeah, I've been feeling really bad for six months now. She's like, what? Cause I hide it really well. And part of that is just my, you know, maybe introversion and my personality. But then, yeah, part of that's maybe a masculine thing where, you know, it is. Cause I think it's like masculinity because of social stigma and social conditioning tends more to rugged individualism. Like, oh, I'll figure this out on my own. I don't need help. And so hence isolate, hence it gets worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that definitely plays, uh, a part. Um, but then there's also, and you, you mentioned earlier, a stigma around mental health in general that we need to unravel and, and, and just lower that and have people talk about these things more because it's an issue in our modern society. Mental health problems are becoming a deal because modern society is evolving way faster than I think our emotional mental capacity to keep up with mm-hmm. it. And that's causing mental health issues. I mean, that's a whole other topic, but we we have to talk about these things more because more people than we want to admit are dealing with it. For those who are dealing with, you know, mental health issues and might feel like they don't have the support of people around them to share, um, what are some tactics that you recommend? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, you know what? What's really awesome these days is that because of the internet, you can find a group of people to see you, understand you, witness your pain, witness your transformation, whatever, right? And so, you know, at first, so so go find a space where you can at least dip a toe in, into sharing that, where you feel safe. And you don't need to do it if you don't feel safe, but you know, there are, there are Facebook groups, um, and some of these Facebook groups are like totally, you know, secret so that it's, nobody even knows that you're in that Facebook group except for the people in the Facebook group. There are forums. So whatever you have to do to start searching around, or even if you just go into a group and just watch, you know, not even they have to post, but just like start seeing, oh, there's somebody who just posted something kind of like what I'm dealing with. So that's probably the biggest thing is whatever you need to do. If for some reason your immediate family or friends or, you know, whoever is in your vicinity, you don't feel like you can turn to them safely then find some space or even locally you know what i mean there are support groups for everything you know so google support groups locally but um yeah whatever you got to do find at least a person or a, a group where you can start sharing that stuff even as if it's just just cracking the door, the door a little bit at first how do you feel now you know we're in 2018 um, you went through some of these steps yourself. Do you still have remaining fears or feelings of not being enough? Sure. I mean, that stuff still comes up regularly. Um, I don't feel like it. <clears throat> it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't overwhelm me and erode my confidence so quickly like it did. Like you know, my just my capacity to to, you know, see it for what it was and, and my brain to like, you know, process it and have resilience and, and go, okay, I'll figure this out somehow like that. had just been for whatever reason, almost totally, it just felt like removed. Right. And so things like medication and, and talking to people and stuff like help rebuild that a little bit over time. But even today, yeah, I'll have those days where it's like, I write an email and I'm like, oh my gosh, nobody's going to care about it. Like what the freak am I even doing? Or I don't have anything original to say, or like, you know, those moments still happen. I feel like I bounce back from them definitely more quickly because I've, you know, refound. Not only did I regain that capacity through a lot of work and and but then because of that experience, especially with as hard as it was, I came back even stronger. I mean, that's, you know, kind of the cliche that people say, but it's totally true. Like I had to learn new you know, it's like strengthening new muscles, new new uh, ways of, of processing, you know, pain and, and self-doubt and fear and all that stuff. So, but yeah, it still hits me sometimes. And, you know, by the end of, so that was fall 2016 where things started turning around. It was December 2016 where I went to the mastermind. And one thing they did is they encouraged me still to take time and not rush, right? You know, even when I was starting to, I was like, wow, this was really helpful. And they're like, but don't rush back into just doing a lot. So I took like even half a year still easing my way back into it. And, you know, by the end of 2017, I was like, okay, I'm ready to really hit it hard with what I want to do. And then my, my father passed away out of nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. and the reason why I bring that up is that was really hard because I felt like I had like come back and then all of a sudden it felt like this huge regression really quickly. Cause like you lose somebody grief, like also that's going to trigger all kinds of stuff. So, you know, and, and that was three months ago almost. And so I'm still dealing with some of that too, but it's different this time. I can also tell that even though, 
you know, my father passing away has maybe reduced my, you know, mental, emotional energy and creativity capacity some, I can still see like that consistent, like fire and desire and creativity and excitement about the things that I have planned to do and am doing right now. So I can tell that there's a difference between my resilience in 2016 and my resilience now at the beginning of 2018, even in the light of losing, you know, a parent. Um, so it's not that it's all gone, but absolutely feel more equipped and strengthened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the projects that you're working on now? Um, so right now, what I just so that, you know, through that, we talked a lot about the mental health bit, but um, what I'm working on right now is a strategy workshop. Um, I think you said in the, the, the bio how I work, I'm a strategic advisor for thought leaders. And the one thing that I did, because people might be wondering, well, how did you, if you had like no confidence and drive, how did you make money all that time? Um, and sometimes it was hard, but the one thing I could get myself to do was consulting because it felt like showing up and helping one other person. And that's like sometimes the one thing that can kind of help, you know, release some depression. It's like, go figure out something you can do for somebody else. Right. And the reason I mentioned that is that ended up being a huge benefit and blessing because not only did I learn a lot about what entrepreneurs and thought leaders were dealing with today in their businesses, I also learned a lot about what they value most about the way I think, my unique strengths and skills. And I realized, whoa, okay, there's now a need for a lot of these online entrepreneurs to they're always running into these ceilings, going back to the ceilings where they need to kind of, they need to realign or reinvent or just figure out what's next, what's possible. They've kind of lost sight of a few things. So I've developed a framework that just helps them come back to reconnecting with, with themselves and what they want out of their business so that whatever strategic direction they go, their messaging and their you know business model and everything fall in line with supporting that, which obviously having gone through a, like what feels like this two or three year big upset and transition and transformation in my own life now is actually informed and educated and given me so many insights and skills to help people who are going through that. Even if it's just like a little, you know, a few months of like, Oh my gosh, where's my business going? What am I doing? Right. I get to draw now from all this, you know, which is how it is, right. We have these hardest moments in our lives that then equip and inform us and teach us lessons that now we can move forward and use to help others. And so that's, that's felt really good to now help other people find that clarity and confidence when they're in a moment of feeling uncertain about where they're mm-hmm. headed. What do you want your legacy to be? Yeah, well, this is something that I've you know thought a lot about. And um, what I see is my mission and vision. So my vision is a future where, I mean, look, the internet is relatively new. I mean, let's just say 15 years, maybe it's been around ish. And social media and whatever, like a decade. And like just the idea of online influencers, like anybody now can create a platform, reach people, share a message, share an idea. This is still a relatively new thing. So my vision is a world where a lot more people step up as what I call self-made influencer. Because there are a lot of problems in this world to solve. And every one of us has a different perspective, different set of strengths, different expertise, like just, you know, different package, like things that we can say to the world that only we can say because of who we are and where we come from. And if I can, A, help more people realize the world needs that to solve all these problems, that you have some corner of the world you can serve better than anybody else, and that B, here is like 
the best framework, not formula, because I don't believe in formula because I don't want to box people like square peg and round circle. Here's a framework for taking your genius and translating it into the digital realm, into the on the Internet to reach the right person, create the right business model and help more of those ideas meet, reach more of the people that they need to reach and help those people make more money with their ideas because then they can they deserve to get paid for their ideas, but also so they can have more income means more impact. Right. That's my vision. A lot more of those self-made influencers stepping up and owning that. And so I guess I want my legacy to be having helped thousands or tens of thousands of ideas to have reached farther throughout the world. Cause that's just kind of a multiplicative or exponential impact of my own by empowering all these other people. And I don't know, just have people think, wow, yeah, Jason came up with a lot of ideas that really helped me fulfill what was meaningful to me, you know, whether you call that meaning or purpose or, or whatever. So I guess I want my legacy to be ideas that just really helped people to maximize their own dreams and vision and potential. Are there any particular causes right now that you're passionate about? Yes. Um, wow. This is a great question. Um, I mentioned that my father died three years ago or three months ago, and that has led to a lot of reading around trauma. Because, you know, when we say the word trauma, you know, post-traumatic syndrome, you know, stress syndrome, PTSD and stuff like that, usually we probably think of, you know, people who endured, you know, physical or sexual abuse when they were a kid or um, veterans who are coming back from, you know, a tour abroad and they've seen, you know, very poignant things that now there's resilient residual trauma. But the truth is, even, you know, losing a loved one, that's trauma. We all have like these things in our life that lead to trauma that gets stored in our body. And the reason why this is important to me is, number one, I've been thinking a lot about, okay, the trauma that was triggered for me by my dad dying and processing and what does that mean and just looking at and just realizing we're all dealing with some kind of trauma. And that just causes, you know, us to you know, act out in unhelpful ways. And there's a lot of, you know, people in power, whether it's a middle manager at a company or whatever that are taking their trauma and just like acting it out on everybody under their Right. And it just like so much of what's going on is just because people have all this trauma that they haven't had a chance to process. So I want to do whatever I can to help. Number one, just like removing the stigma and raising the awareness just in the same way that let's say in a school, we would help somebody with a learning disability, like dyslexia or something. We need to be that aware of trauma and that it's just something we all experience and that we need to be better. And it, it doesn't take sexual abuse or physical abuse or whatever to, to, to like have that. But it's just something that's there. It's part of life. And the more educated we are about recognizing and processing and dealing with that trauma, the better like the world is going to be less violent, more fulfilled. And so I guess I'm, yeah, I'm passionate about the understanding of trauma, the awareness of trauma and Lots of research that's going into helping us release trauma that gets stored in our body and leads to disease and lots mm-hmm. of problems like that. So I'm still figuring out exactly where that, you know, I want to land in that picture. But in general around that is what I'd like to do something with, whether it's a you know foundation. Right now, I guess what I'm doing is I want to raise awareness among entrepreneurs about mental health and how it affects entrepreneurs. Yeah. That's a starting point. Yeah. And then maybe in a broader, bigger sense, uh, yeah, trauma and how we can deal with it. Yeah. I've actually never used the term trauma myself when I think about even the work that I've done on myself, which is um, understanding past events that have affected me in a negative way that perhaps I've suppressed Mm -hmm. or just not wanted to look back at. And I found that the most powerful 
exercise that I could do is is figuring out what are those particular chapters or experiences in my life where I don't want to look back at. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, that sort of aversion when you feel that is what's most important to face. Yeah. Because that is where I guess you have this trauma, which becomes the source of fear in your present life and low grade anxiety and stress. And you just don't even know it's there because you haven't been willing to face it. So absolutely. I think it's, you know, with everything that is even talked about on this podcast is just recognizing that you have to face those things if you're ever going to heal um, and move forward and really you know, mm-hmm. utilize your potential to create the change that you want. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, yeah, when we experience trauma, it's very normal for our mind, our psyche, whatever you want to call it, to create protection defenses around that thing so that A, it never happens again, and B, we don't have to feel that pain anymore. But to your point, if that is in there, locked away, and our protectors are like, no, don't, no, 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 don't, 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 you know, whether that's perfectionism because that protector is trying to keep us from criticism because we were criticized way back when and that causes trauma, you know, yeah, we don't, we're, A, we're limiting ourselves, and B, we are going to be, I don't want to say destined or what the word I'm looking at, but it's basically going to, we're going to continue to act that out on ourselves and others in ways that are not helpful and healthful until we look at it and process it and turn it into today. I went to a TEDx and one of the coolest things, she is a songwriter that works with veterans and a, a program that they match veterans with a songwriter and write a song together. And she told this powerful story of sitting down with a veteran and listening to his story and turning it into a song. And she just said this thing of like, we need to learn how to alchemize trauma. And I love that word because alchemy was about taking something seemingly common, like lead, right? You know, they, they thought they could take lead and turn it into gold, something more value. And that's kind of a cool analogy if you think about it. It's like, okay, alchemize trauma. So take this thing that's painful and hard and turn it into something mm-hmm. amazing and awesome. Yeah. Whether that's a song that touches other people, whether that's a strategy workshop that helps other people navigate their own transition and lack of clarity. And uh, I would love that. More awareness more alchemizing of trauma. (laughs) How cool would that be? You know, but it's freaking scary and hard and I'm still doing it myself too. So yeah, totally, totally agree. One of the most powerful quotes that I came across was by the psychoanalyst Carl Jung. Mm. And he said, until we make the unconscious conscious, um, it will direct our lives and we will call it fate. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. That's yeah. hundred percent. So true. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for being so open about your challenges that you've gone through. I think it'll be really helpful to all of our listeners and, and give some people the courage to face some of the mm-hmm. trauma that maybe they haven't been willing to face. Um, and on that note, um, I want to just finish off the episode with something we do each time, which is called the one thing, mm. because even as we've discussed today, oftentimes it just takes one action, uh, one thought, one conversation to completely change someone's life. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to ask you about some of your one things. Mm. Uh, what is one book that you would unhesitatingly recommend? Yeah, this is a hard one because it because <laughs> I, I like to be very relevant and specific. It's like, what are you dealing with? Okay. And then pull that out of the database and go, this is the book you need to read. Right. But I guess one that broadly, um, 
well, since we're talking about trauma, most recently really found interesting a book and have recommended it to a lot of people called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And it's about one of the early researchers who started figuring out, dec- you know, a few decades ago, it's like, oh, there's this thing called trauma. And they started noticing in veterans first. But now it's like, no, it's in all of us. And then he starts talking about, and here's some of the research and the things we're figuring out about how it affects us and how we can release it. So I guess if anything we said today resonates with anybody, that's a book that I would say go and read just because it'll be very insightful and probably hope promoting as well. It'll be like, oh, okay, there's people who are figuring out how to help us through these things. On a slightly different note, for those who are interested in growing their personal brand and their influence, what's one resource, whether book or site or blog, that you would recommend for someone to start? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of them, but one that comes to mind is by an author by the name of Todd Henry. And he wrote a book called Louder Than Words. And I think the subtitle is harnessing or leveraging the, you know, harnessing the power of your authentic voice or something like that. I mean, he writes a lot of books for creatives, but, and you might think that that's specifically for like writers or artists or something, but entrepreneurs we're always creating too. We're creating value. And I think that especially if you want a personal brand or even if you just want to create something different in the world that's uniquely an expression of you, finding your voice is an important thing so that whatever it is you create is a full authentic expression of who you are. And that's the first time I've read a book that really tried to quantify and qualify. What does that mean? Finding your voice. How do you do that? And so it's a book I recommend to all my clients. One adjective that you would use to describe your voice. Ooh. Clarifying. I try to be, I try to bring clarity in every situation mm-hmm. and everything I do. That's everything I do offers some kind of clarity to people. That's so great. I guess clarifying would be. Yeah. We all need a little bit more clarity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what is one mantra that you live by every day? I try not to be like trite or like say something that just sounds like, you know, like be kind to everyone. Of course it should be kind to everyone. But, um, um, that I try to live by every day. I mean, I try to, uh, you know, I try to be, I think, okay, there's a quote and I think it might be, I think it might be Einstein or something like, and I'm, I don't remember the quote, honestly, it's, but it's something about being a person of value. Mm. And I think that's a mantra that it's like every day I try to create value for somebody. Some people might call this service, but you know, whether that's, yeah, you know, showing up for a client or just helping a friend who, you know, just got laid off from their job and I have some insight that's going to help them move forward from that difficult event, create value. So Mm. create value every day. And then lastly, to make this podcast as actionable as possible, if there was one action you would challenge the listeners to take mm-hmm. today, uh, what would it be? So anybody who's you know listening to this that is in that camp of, I've got a message to share, I'd like to have a personal brand, or I want to go to that next level of legacy and impact. Um, <clears throat> something that holds us back, I think, is this idea of like, well, I don't know if I have something worthwhile to say yet, or I'm still trying to really get it right before I put it out there. Or, and there's a great book by Austin Kleon called Show Your Work. And again, show your work. Show your work. And it's again, it's a book written for artists. But he's basically saying, even as you're figuring out your stuff and creating your ultimate masterpieces, show all of that work online. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 
and just to be more concrete. So for instance, and this goes back to create value every day. Like I'm, you know, whether it's posting an idea, doing a Facebook live, cause you had some interesting idea or something happened today and you want to share that experience. And maybe it's an idea that might be interesting. And then you see how people respond to that. And then sharing that 10 minute Facebook live, you're like, Oh, okay. That was interesting. You clarified some of your own ideas. And so then the next time now, maybe you're actually going to write a blog post about you're like, that's just one example. Right? So it's like all my ideas that become these things that people are like, Whoa, Jason, that was awesome chances are you can go back, you know, whether it's two or three or six months and see the kernel of it that I wrote, you know, in some other, you know, shared on a podcast interview or something. Right. So allow your ideas and your work to unfold in public out there online because you'll start impacting people sooner. Mm-hmm. You'll get feedback that'll help you make it better. And, um, yeah, well, those two reasons right there are enough <laughs> reasons to do it. Right. And, yeah. it, and, you, and then it's confidence producing and you find your voice yeah. faster. And, and that's great. And that's exactly um, in line with this whole theme of enoughness of it doesn't have to be perfect. Yes. It doesn't even need to be good enough. It's just, you know, put it out there even if you don't feel like you're enough or the work is good enough because sometimes you don't know what you're going to get in terms of feedback. And that mm-hmm. could completely change what you're creating for the better. Yeah. You wouldn't, you would have missed out if you had you not put it out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, thank you so much. What would be the best way for any of the listeners to contact you, um, whether on social or on your website? Mm-hmm. So com. If you want, you can sign up for my newsletter and I send out, that's where I show my work. Like my earliest work shows up on my newsletter first. Um, or if you're a Facebook person, jasononfb.com, you can follow me there. Or if you really like to read thoughtful after I've already worked it all out and put my most thoughtful way of Jason on medium.com. You go to medium.com and this is actually a new thing. I'm going to start posting a lot more on medium, like kind of the, I guess what you people might call your like thought leadership pieces after, after you really yeah. thought it through. So there are three choices depending on cool. which part of the process you want to catch me in. Awesome. <laughs> so. Well, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks Lisa. This was great. I really enjoyed the conversation. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I created the Enoughness podcast to reveal the real stories behind the leaders we admire, to address this universal question that we all have at some point or another. Am I good enough? So just remember that you're not on this journey alone and that you do have the power of enoughness. If you want the full show notes and transcript from today's episode, go to www.lisawang.co slash podcast. Again, that's lisawang.co slash podcast, and you'll be able to follow along. I'd love if you could leave a review or tag anything that you share on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag enoughness and you can find me at lisa works l-i-s-a-w-o-r-x on twitter or instagram catch you in the next episode